0: Hello waffle lovers and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. We have plenty to talk about this week. Twins, Timberwolves, and Title Nine. That's alliteration, folks. Lots of T's there. Glad you've decided to tune in and listen to me talk and others as well about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who have tuned in previous weeks, and welcome to those of you checking things out for the first time. I hope you'll be back each and every week. Sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. The uh, Title IX 50th anniversary Happened last week, and I thought it'd be appropriate to talk a little bit about Title IX and the big impact that that has had on sports in general. Let's face it; I'm 48 years old right now. And if you go back to when I was in in school and everything like that, girls' sports it was there. It wasn't a huge deal. Um, it was just kind of it was. We looked at it. Well, the girls had an opportunity to play basketball too, and they did volleyball, and and it was you know really starting to come into its own. And that's you know 80s into the early 90s. And the uh, Title IX had only been around for about 10 or 15 years, and it was really making strides. And, and everything I've read about it and and done some research, and Title IX was not intended to impact women in sports. It became that way to give them equal opportunities. And what a fantastic thing that has been. Things like the WNBA, um, all the other, you know, the, the women's soccer has really taken on new life as well, and all the other opportunities that women have had in a lot of different areas. And so I've got a special guest this week, my sister, Mandy Stafford. She's here, she's gonna talk about girls and women's sports and her experience. We'll talk a little bit of Title IX. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. I'd like to thank Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms for sponsoring the program again this week. And, uh, you know, all of our farmers out there do so much work, and there's a lot of things that sometimes we drive the highways and byways, and we don't always, we, we notice things, but we don't really think about it, and as I drove out to Wisconsin and back for my nephew Ethan's graduation party last weekend, and I noticed farmers in the fields doing that dreaded task of baling hay, and I thought, you know, that's one of those things that's so important, and you use the hay and you feed the livestock and everything. And we don't think about that when we eat our hamburgers and steaks and everything like that, that, you know, those cows had to be fed and drove by another place and I saw the cows and they were all up at the fence and they had some hay spread there and they were eating that. And that that task is not a lot of fun, I can tell you from experience. It tends to always be about 90 degrees every time it's time to bale hay, it seemed like when I was young. Um, But it's so important, and the farmers, they're out there working, and when you see them in the fields doing that stuff, a little appreciation for that the food on our table comes from all those little tasks that they have to do along the way. So, again, thanks to our farmers for the work that they do. Thanks to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms for sponsoring whatever flips your waffle. Joining the program this week, we've got Mandy Stafford. You might say, Mandy Stafford, who's that? And I'll tell you, this is my youngest sister. She's played a variety of sports. Um, I would guess she would probably say softball was the sport she was best at. Um, She's a two-time state softball champion here in Minnesota with the New Cathedral Greyhounds and a former professional football player. (laughs) Mandy, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So what drew you to sports at a young age? Like what appealed to you about these activities?
1: I would say I just loved being outside and following my dad who is known in New Ulm as someone <laughs> um, who loves softball and baseball. I followed him around every single day to the softball and baseball parks. Um, so I feel like it just came natural. It was just I was there. I might as well have a glove in my hand. Um, and then I just love being an athlete. So anything where I got to be involved in on a basketball floor, volleyball court, softball field, I just, it, I loved it.
0: And I think anybody who ever watched any of our family play would say that um, you had more athletic talent than the other three of us all, <laughs> put, together, <laughs> all put together. Correct. Um, yeah, no, no doubt in our mind. You actually started on varsity sports teams, and the rest of us <laughs> didn't get off the bench very often. What uh, as you played these sports, and I think too, you know, you mentioned our dad, and he's known, you know, as a softball coach and stuff too. I think he kind of got into coaching. In large part because of you, he was around a lot um, and mm-hmm. sort of got sucked in. He did a little bit when I was playing baseball yeah. because nobody else would do it, but when he wore his cowboy boots out there the first time yep. uh, the <laughs> infield, I thought, uh-oh. But um, he really got into that softball aspect with you he, as well. He
1: did, and I honestly I think uh, I have to give a lot of credit to, to Dad because he knew when to be a coach and when to be our dad. And I take that, and I would love to be that same type of coach for my children um, because he was a coach for the time that we were on the field, and he was dad as soon as I jumped in his truck to drive home.
0: Right. So
1: yeah. he was he was great at it.
0: Which is a hard thing for a lot of people. Yes. They can't yes. separate that. Yep. What, you know, as you played these sports, what made you want to get better? Especially, you know, we look at softball, which was your best sport, but what is it that drove you? Because honestly, I know for me it wasn't... I, I like the sports I didn't really want to put in as much of the extra work.
1: (laughs) Yep, Um, my best friends were also my teammates and so when you are friends with your teammates throughout the entire year from kindergarten on um, you just become better because as a team you become better. I may not have actually become better as an individual but When you're all together and you're all friends and you all understand how each other works, all of a sudden your team gets better because it's more than just that athletic ability. You learn to read each other and you know what's happening. Um, But when one of them gets better, you are trying to be at that same level as them. So if I became better, it's because one of my friends became better and I wanted to be at that same level as them.
0: What were the steps necessary? I mean, your first state championship that you were on, you weren't a starter, but by, by your senior year you were. So what did it take to be a starter, not just on a state championship team, but the idea that New Ulm Cathedral, traditionally, softball-wise, mm-hmm. it was kind of expected you were going to the state yep. tournament. So to be one of those nine starters, what does it take to get to that point?
1: Um, my senior year, I still remember Coach Mertz, pretty much pulled the three of us seniors aside and said, you know, I think this is really going to be a rebuilding year and I want the three of you to just be leaders on showing this very young team, we had 7th and 8th graders coming up to play varsity. Um, I want you to show them what makes a team that you've been on in the past because the three of us had been on state teams in the past, um, both a championship team and a third place team and um, so we knew going in you know what this is just going to be a fun year it's our senior year it's a fun year Um, we're going to show these younger girls what truly makes a team and we went undefeated that year we um, and I truly honestly believe is because we hung out as a team we we understood what made that team Um, and and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that we were seniors and we were looking down and, you know, kind of holding these girls, um, I guess, at a higher level than what most 7th and 8th graders should be held at, and we became friends, and I don't know why I was chosen to be one of the starters. I don't know if it's because I was a senior. I mean, I, I try to not say because I was super over-the-top athletic, um, I'm sure that helped a lot, but it was probably one of the greatest years, and we had fun doing it. And we were not expected to be there. Um, it was it I still can remember every single play of that championship game. and it it did take a lot of practice. It took, I mean, we were in the gym practicing every single day. it rained. We were out on the field every day, single day it was sunny. The three of us seniors hung out and played catch together. We just always had our mitt on us at all times. So it does take practice. It does take dedication. But it also takes that friendship to actually create that team.
0: Right. And you didn't begrudge these. You know, sometimes you see this, the younger kids, hey, they're going to get their opportunity. And there's some hard feelings. But you guys kind of became leaders. Yep. Yep. And said, well, if it is, it is. But then by the end, you're, I mean you're out there playing anyway. Absolutely, yeah. And, and probably those kids probably had a chance to participate in some state championship Absolutely. games. Absolutely, and we still
1: too. we still call those three girls the eighth graders. We don't <laughs> they're they're married and have kids themselves. <laughs> right. They are still right. eighth graders yeah. to us. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: You know, and you played a lot of so- softball in the summer. Um, were there things that kept you from other activities because you were so? You were playing a lot of softball in the summer, doing things. Did you ever feel like you missed out on anything? Or did you still have a lot of opportunities to just kind of be a kid?
1: That's where when I say dad was a coach when we were on the field and a dad when we were off the field, he never forced me. You know, he would say, hey, I'm going to go open the batting cages. It was never a, you're coming with to the batting cages right now. Um, He always gave me the opportunity to bow out if I didn't want to Mm -hmm. be doing softball. Um, I think there was one summer that I just really pushed myself. I played school softball, I played summer softball, I played 4-H softball, I played fall softball. I played softball every single month except December. And that's the summer that I realized that I wasn't having fun with it anymore. Okay. and I, I backed off completely. And the next summer, I only played school softball because I wanted it to be fun. And and it came back to being fun again, and that's when we started winning as a school.
0: And there's that difference sometimes. You see people who do too much yeah. yeah if you're not having fun. Yeah. So I that feeling of being mm-hmm. a champion, I mean, it's at, at that level. Mm-hmm. Is it... Is it different when you're out there playing compared to sophomore year? You were kind of just, you were there, or is it just, hey, we're champions, and I'm part of that?
1: It's, I, you know, I was just joking about this. I was sitting at the Twins game on the other night, and I was saying, you know, as a senior, you, you win the state championship, and you think you are top of the world. Nothing is going to beat you at this point. You are the <laughs> coolest person out there. Um, and it is it's especially softball it's in may and june you're graduating high school which is already one of the greatest accomplishments and then the sport that you absolutely love when it was supposed to be a rebuilding year and you win state i honestly i think i had an interview with one of the news stations and my quote was i am on cloud nine and i'm going to be here for a long long time right um and it was a big difference because I, I started and I played every single inning of every single game. So I truly felt like you were one of the reasons why you won that state championship.
0: You made plays defensively, you got hits, you bunted, you did all the different yeah. things. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting there watching you win that game too. And, and I don't remember if you're sophomore year or senior year when there was a rain out and it got pushed back to another night. One of those years it happened too. Sophomore, but, yeah. yeah. But you just Let's go, Yeah, come back and and get ready to go We're here with my sister Mandy Stafford Uh, One of the things that's really important this year Just last week was the 50 year anniversary of the enactment of Title IX uh, Which gave women a lot more opportunities in sports That wasn't the intention of the Title IX Mm -hmm. But it became that way over time Have you ever thought about The opportunities that you had as a female athlete that weren't really there for previous generations. I mean, it wasn't that long before you were playing that girls' sports were kind of a joke for Hmm. for a lot of them. Like, girls' basketball compared to boys' basketball was, it was nothing. If if the boys scored 50 or 60 points in a night, if the girls got to 30, that was pretty good. Did that ever dawn on you, or maybe not at the time, but when you look back at, wow, it I had some great opportunities.
1: You know, I I guess I've never actually sat and thought about that. Um, I still remember sitting with our grandma and talking about what sports she played. Not even thinking that. Well, why wouldn't she have played sports? You know, yeah. that's I have all of these sports that I have right in front of me. I can play any of them at any time. And I still remember her talking about some sport that sounded. Similar to basketball, but it wasn't (laughs) truly basketball and they were wearing dresses Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess it's never really truly been a a Topic in my mind that I haven't been able to play a sport because I've I've played every single sport that I have ever wanted to including professional tackle football Um, there really has not been a sport that I haven't been able to play in some capacity So the thought that women weren't able to play a sport if they wanted to or weren't able to play it at the level that men were able to just has never been a part of my life. Right, which
0: is due to a lot of those those people that kind of led the way. When you look back, do you ever think that there were any discrepancies in how girls' athletics was treated when you were in high school compared to boys, or was it pretty equitable in... I mean, you don't know the money and all <laughs> yeah, that stuff, yeah, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think being that I went to New Ulm Cathedral, softball was one of the top sports. And so as a female sport, I guess growing up, we were the top dogs. Right. You know, our our gender, our sport was really one of the top top sports. So I don't think that we ever had anyone... Looked down on us. Um, it was pretty much if you if you made this varsity softball team, you were looked up at. Yeah. You know you would. So, I mean, our baseball team was great as well, but New Orleans Cathedral was known for softball. So Still a female, have, yeah. so a female sport was the top sport that you wanted to play.
0: Right. Which and. And for those who don't know me or know Mandy or national <laughs> listeners and stuff, I'm 13 years older than she is. And it was very different when I was in school. Um, it was a joke when the girls walked into the weight room.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why, what are you girls doing in here? You can't even lift the bar.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, that kind of stuff. And so that's come a long way. There are a lot of different. There's more than just, you know, bench pressing and everything. We didn't yeah. have very much back then. Um, that the girls do. And when I walked down our high school hallways and I watched the girls in the weight room, I mean, they are out there.
1: Mm-hmm. They're,
0: they're doing some amazing things out there. Absolutely. And just physically, sometimes they're not as as strong as the guys are, and that's, that's, that's the way it's built. But um, I, I think back to that, too, and most of the girls didn't really want to play sports. They wanted to be cheerleaders, when I was in school. They wanted to be on the dance team. And the dance mm-hmm. team at Cathedral has also been... Absolutely. And that's an athletic endeavor.
1: Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, yes. You think
0: about that. Earlier this year we had on the program, too, um, this is the first year of the girls' state wrestling tournament. Mm-hmm. And a girl from our high school went uh, there and represented very well. And that's a big accomplishment as well Yeah, uh, when you look at that. So you mentioned playing football. Mm-hmm. And... You know, when you were in high school, I can't imagine that thought ever dawned in I'm going to go play football. Like, you, know, you talk about cathedral softball being a pretty big deal, um, especially compared to the other sports, even when they'd have a successful season because softball was consistently that. Did you see support, like, in your state tournament runs and stuff? For example, were there as many people that would show up to Caswell Park in Mankato to watch you guys play? As there would be a typical Friday night to watch a football game?
1: Uh no. Um I mean Friday night lights. Yeah, everyone right. goes to Friday right. night football games. Right. It's 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 well, it's more of a social aspect yeah. than it is the sports. But um it Caswell was packed once we especially once we get to closer to the championship game, we had buses of people coming and it's a what thirty-minute 30 drive, minute drive yeah. maybe? <laughs> um, I mean, the entire baseball team, all of all of the high school students would come and support us, and you know, of course, all the senior guys would be out there with pom poms and acting like <laughs> cheerleaders and all of that type of a thing. Um, but again, I think it's because we were known for softball, so there was that social aspect behind it as well. You wanted to be a part of that. Um, championship just as much as the people that were on the team
0: yeah you could kind of buy in and follow the team and everything else so now we leave high school you still have athletic things that you want to do because Mm -hmm. you try to do that as long as you can until you get to a certain age (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so what led you to become a professional football player so
1: the true answer behind that um i've always loved football i i can toss a football, you know, just like most, most guys can. I can, I love playing football. How I got into playing football was, um, I jokingly signed up for it at the state fair. (laughs) And then I got sent the application and when tryouts were, and again, I, I went and I tried out because why wouldn't I? Someone tells me I can't do something. I'm going to do it. And I made the team. And I still have some of the greatest friends from that that football team because it is something that as women, we're told that we can't play football. Mm-hmm. And so you get to play football and I'm talking full pads, helmet, cleats, everything, running, having a playbook where I had 50 plays that I had to memorize and I played... Um, both safety and wide receiver so i was knowing multiple different play i had to know every aspect of that game um and it was we traveled the country we really truly not only by bus but by plane to get to our different games and these these girls knew i mean he, when you're on a when you're on a bus for 6 hours one <laughs> way you get to know each other pretty yeah, well yeah and and i think it's just you know, like I said, anytime someone tells me that I can't do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm I'm going to go above and beyond. And I played for two seasons, and it was two of the greatest seasons I have ever played of sports, was playing football.
0: And that line really strikes me. You say, somebody tells me I can't do it, I'm going to do it. I think yeah. that's why we've gotten to the point where women have so many more opportunities, and young girls have so many more opportunities, because there came a point where these women said, I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they've They've told me I can't. And I can do it. And when you read up on Title IX and some of the things, there's been a lot of things in the Star Tribune this year and Sports Illustrated and everything, um, about some of these women who even tried out for NBA teams who did things that said, well, I, I can do this. And yeah. and I've certainly known plenty of girls who uh, could take on any of the boys' basketball players yeah. and one-on-one and take yep. them out. Yep. Nobody's business doesn't matter. Um, what What keeps more girls... Or women from playing a sport like football. I mean, like I said, we have wrestling now. There's more Mm -hmm. opportunities for girls. Um, Basketball, I think they're they're different games, Mm -hmm. but they're the same in so many ways. Baseball and softball are comparable, though. I'll always... I teach junior high kids, and they'll get in arguments. They'll say, oh, softball's easier to play. It's a a bigger ball ball to hit and whatever else. And I'll say, I dare you to stand against our varsity pitcher yeah. and see if you could I would rather hit off the varsity baseball guy who's throwing curveballs and all stuff than hit off the girl who's chucking it from Absolutely. 43 feet. And you
1: can't see the release of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So what... You know, like a football, we got a ways to go yet. Yeah. Because there's very few girls who want to try it. Or you'll see them try it a little bit maybe in junior high, maybe the start of high school, and they mm-hmm. sort of peter out. What does it take to give them those chances?
1: Um knowing that it's out there. Honestly, if I would not have walked into the sports area of the state fair, I would have never known about the Minnesota Vixen football team. Um, The tough part is that there is zero funding for it. So coming out of college, starting my first career, you know, not making a whole lot of money, I am now trying to pay for my own pads, my own uniform, my own helmet travel expenses, field, you know, having to pay for where you um, are practicing, where you play, the refs. We had to pay for all of it. Um, and I made it work, you know, paying for airfare, all huh. of that stuff. Yeah. We don't make money. Um, you know, the the fans that come and they pay tickets to watch us play help pay for the field. Um, but again, I... I made it work. I could not go past 2 years because <laughs> honestly I couldn't afford playing it. But I wouldn't first of all I would have never even known that it was even a thing to be able to do to play football as a female to and I'm not talking the whole lingerie that's put out on yeah, right, the, right. on the TV yeah. or anything like this. This is full on contact tackling just laying yeah. someone out. Um, you There's don't no ever plagues. no. yeah you uh you uh you don't know that it's even out there most women have no idea that that opportunity is even there for them to play and it has become a lot more i think minnesota now has three if not more teams that you are able to try out for and play and they go across the country it's a national level team um, but it has gone from one team all the way up to I think three, if not four, teams that women can try out for. Wow,
0: it strikes me we're here with Mandy Stafford, my younger sister, talking about women's sports, girls in sports, um, and, and and women's football. It strikes me as as you say this that you know probably the way to get it there is the same way that the WNBA has become so successful, the NBA teams that make a lot of money. Had to subsidize that. Well, now the WNBA teams, they make their money. They mm-hmm. do a, a pretty nice job of that. They've got good TV deals and everything. During the pandemic, the WNBA was the only one that increased its viewership out of all the professional sports. But because they had to start off being subsidized because men's sports has been dominant for so long. Just this last year, the, the women's national soccer team gained equal pay to the men. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what it takes. Maybe the NFL has to kind of step up and say, well, let's promote this. They, yeah. It can't hurt them for the Vikings to say, hey, we're going to support the Vixen. Yeah. The Vikings and the Vixen, that goes together really well. <laughs> Play at TCO, performance center there. Um, yeah. I, I would think there may, might be a way in that way. I don't know if there's another way you can get that out there.
1: I Yeah, I don't know. We, we started to get a little bit more of the national recognition. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. The, what are the... They're called fatheads.
0: Oh, yeah. They now right. actually
1: will do fatheads of the women's football players. Yeah, the which ones you is, put on your walls yep, and stuff. Yeah. Yep. So we're starting to get a little bit more... I shouldn't say we. They are starting <laughs> to get a little bit more recognition um, as the years go on, and it's becoming more and more of a thing. Um, like I said, in Minnesota, it went from one team to... I think it's up to almost three or four. So it's obviously getting a little bit more recognition. I know that the Vikings do invite at least the vixen to come and play kind of at like their halftime at least once a year, once of the season. Um, it's just that they play at a completely different time of the year because we're playing outdoors. It's all in summertime. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whereas Vikings are obviously more in the winter um but but the recognition is needed it is so needed like i said i wouldn't have even known about it had i not stepped foot at the state right. fair much less the average person just doesn't even know about it
0: and even though and i've seen girls try football and are pretty good at it uh, but when you look at it like division one college football mm-hmm. they had a young lady she's a kicker and that's it that's like mm-hmm. that's all you you hear about well they can go out there they can mm-hmm. kick the ball because it's they think about the physical. I think people look at it yeah. and say, women just can't be as physical. Did you know some of these ladies that could have competed with the men really easily? Uh,
1: I still, big red, Cynthia. She was, I feel like she was a retired police officer or something along those lines. She would put me on her shoulders and run up and down the field. She could do squats with me. And I, I'm 150. I'm 150 plus pounds and she was doing squats. She could take out the average team that we would play. Would put two or three people on her alone. So, if you put her up against a couple of the NFL players, obviously she'd probably look a little bit smaller than them, but she could stand her own. Right. She really could. Mm -hmm. And you, you take some of our um, wide receivers that are able to just completely. lay themselves out and catch a ball as they're hitting the ground how many times are we yelling at the tv on sundays like why? if you can touch it you should be able to catch it
0: yeah
1: um and we had girls that were doing that so i think that we truly could at at some levels go at the same hand in hand with them
0: do you think overall i mean there's there's got to be some differences to the women's game just because they Mm -hmm. haven't been brought up um most of them probably with the same type of thing. Um, it's probably not comparable to the NFL right now. No. But if you took like the Vixen in a good year, could they compete with a Division One, a Division Two team?
1: I think we could. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: out there. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Are there any discernible differences? If I sat and watched a Vixen's game, um, would I see something that's really okay? This is a little bit different in women's football compared to the men that stands out.
1: I think the pace of the game is a little bit slower, um, and I think that just, honestly, in my mindset, genetic makeup, are we're going to be doing a lot more running game than throwing game. Okay. Um, obviously, not throwing it 50 yards down. Correct. Yeah. Correct. We're not, we're not going to be doing that, um, but it's a lot more of a almost mindset game. Um, That running game is sometimes even harder than a throwing game and understanding where to cut and where to run and everything can be a lot tougher Um, But if you look at the scores of the games, they're going to be equivalent to NFL games. They're going to be equivalent to um, D1, D2 games. It's not like it's... Putting points on the
0: board. Yeah,
1: yep. And it's it's never going to be like a 42 to 0 type game. It's not going to be something like that. It is very equal on both sides.
0: To get to a point where we get more girls, more women involved, do we have to get to this point where we have enough of them interested at a younger age that there's just girls football? Or can we integrate more, like you say, get those kids involved? Or is the problem that there are so many sports out there now, (laughs) but they're much less likely because, listen, if you're 12 years old, you're going to be playing volleyball or you're going to be playing basketball or whatever.
1: I think it needs to go both ways. I think, you know, they were just trying to pass that they are trying to have, like, a high school volleyball for boys.
0: Right.
1: I think if if we want to have more females playing what are stereotypical men's sports, we need to have more men saying it's okay to play the stereotypical female sports. So if we truly want a female football team, we need to have a male volleyball team. We need to have a male dance sign or try and figure out a co ed type of a thing. Um but no I I feel like we need to just give the opportunities to right. them. Um
0: probably don't do that when you think to like uh second, third, fourth grade, fifth grade when they're starting to play football, they probably hand out sheets to all the boys in class. Correct. Get a hold of the boys to play. Yep, yep. Instead of saying Hey, maybe there's some girls who'd like yeah. to play. And it, I think they say you got to overcome some stereotypes. And it's hard. Like, it'd be hard for me as a dad of a daughter, if she mm-hmm. was 10 years old, um, for her to have said, I want to go play football. That would have been a... Because your mindset is, well, girls don't play yep. football. yeah. yep girls also never used to play basketball and they never used yep. to you well, know, do those well and things too. you're
1: also talking to your little sister who is in a <laughs> profession that is male dominated who is married to a man who is in a female dominated right. profession yeah. so my mind doesn't even go that way you know yeah. just because we are so opposite of what we're supposed to be already with our professions that raising two little boys it's like Oh, you want to go out for a dance line? Go for it! But you want to play football at the same time? All right, let's yeah. do it. You
0: know, <laughs> be happy all around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And Mandy's a funeral director, and her husband Sean is a nurse, and it's—I'm sure it's wonderful. But it opens a lot of doors for you. Yep. As well, when we stop shutting the doors. Yep. For people. Yep. That almost sounds profound. Um, <laughs> and you kind of answered one of my questions here about making things equitable for girls and women. Because you just have to open those doors. You have to give mm-hmm. those opportunities. And maybe it has to be, hey, um, all the girls in whatever age they start football in that community, uh, everybody in the class, here's a sheet you send mm-hmm. it home. And maybe you have some of those yep. those uh, young ladies who decide that's something I'd really enjoy doing. Absolutely. Um, and they'd probably be pretty good at it, too. Absolutely. Girls do physically develop, tend to develop quicker than the boys yes. do at a young age. And... and um, boy I've seen a few girls knock some blocks <laughs> off in junior high football and the other team that's a girl that hit me doesn't matter she's big strong um, yeah. she's tough she can handle a lot of different things so um, of course you know, as you said it's it's, it's an expensive thing um, until we can kind of try to equalize some things but um, mm-hmm. you're glad you did that
1: absolutely it was i I tell my husband all the time there are there's no areas where as a female you can go and just lay someone out like literally just take out all of your aggression without getting arrested and this was a place where you could do it and then turn around and help that girl up off the ground and just say hey that was a great catch hey that was a great tackle um and it was just one of those things where you'll never have that feeling again without getting in trouble by the law yeah. <laughs> by just completely tackling someone it was it was one of the neatest things and and seeing men up in the stand cheering for us um it was it was one of the neatest it was really one of the neatest experiences and getting to travel down to Texas to, to play in the championship down there and yeah it was it was really really neat and now I can be that female that sits at a bar on a Sunday watching a football game, and I know exactly what is going on in that game, (laughs) and I will have other people turn and look at me when I start actually using football phrases that most people don't know or that they think don't think females understand, and it's it's gotten me into some great conversations.
0: Maybe you can get to that, um, (coughs) doing the color commentary, the play-by-play on on that, because you know... and, and. and you sit and you watch the games, and most of us sit and watch games and think we could talk about it all the time, and mm-hmm. we really can't. We just sound like we can. Yeah. Um, but you know, you've played the game. You've yeah. been out there. Yeah. And so from, you look, you look back at your whole life and, and playing some volleyball and basketball, but really softball, a big thing, and then ending at football. And you never would have dreamed that No. as a, as a young kid. Yeah. Um, that wasn't an opportunity. But that just shows, again, how far the world of sports has come. Absolutely. How how much more equitable it is. We still have a ways to go, certainly, um, but people like you have helped that Title IX kind of become more realized as well. Yeah. Well, Mandy, thank you so much for being on the program this week, and uh, we'll see what those boys of yours do and, <laughs> and uh, all kinds of activities in their future as well.
1: Sounds great. Thank you so much.
0: You know, throughout the last few months, I've been reading up a lot on Title IX, and certainly a lot of things in newspapers online about it. And uh, it found some interesting things, and I, I'd been meaning to find some way to incorporate all that into the show, and so interviewing Mandy seemed like a good opportunity. But here's some interesting numbers for you. In 1972, when um, Title IX was first enacted, there were just over 300,000 women and girls that played both high school and college sports in the United States. That's it, 300,000 total uh, women at colleges got about two percent of the total athletic budgets. There were very few women who got athletic scholarships at the time. That was pretty non-existent. By 2012, when the 40th anniversary of Title IX rolled around, there were more than three million girls and women uh, participating. Um, three million just in high school, much less in college as well. and. Uh, You start to throw all that together and say, wow. Um, Studies show, too, that in 2016, one out of every five girls in the United States played sports. So a a lot of accomplishments um, because before Title IX rolled around, that number was one out of 27. But now there were more opportunities. Uh, When I coached girls basketball at a junior high level for many years, we used to do what I call the Janet Carvin and Drill, and that involved – Um, cutting and moving to the spot, catching the ball, turning and and shooting. And Janet Carvin was a great women's basketball player. And every year I'd have to explain to the girls I was coaching who she was and how important Janet Carvin was um, when it came to women's basketball and try to teach them that the people who came before them played a big part in what they're able to do and all the opportunities they had. You know, because of Title IX, you have things like if the boys' basketball team gets new jerseys, um, the girls' basketball team better be in that rotation as well. If you're going to build a nice new baseball facility, then there better be a nice new softball facility or at least something that's not deteriorating. You, you know, you can't do all these things all at the same time. Um, you can't build all those facilities all at the same time. That costs a lot of money. You can't buy new uniforms for everybody at the same time. But it's got to be showing that you're doing this in a, in a good rotation and, and having things done correctly. You're not going to build a new baseball stadium Um, when the girls' softball field has been sitting there for 20 years without anything done to it. You have to kind of keep those things up and give everybody those same sort of opportunities, and uh, it's been a a really, really valuable thing. And So we can see that all around us. You know, you tune into the Olympics. Um, You know, there are a lot of great things, like women's basketball is so much fun to watch and uh, a little bit more competitive than, you know, the men's basketball where you have all those professional elite athletes and everything, the women play a different style of game and um, and have a lot of fun out there doing it. Uh, same with a lot of other sports that you see women have more opportunities to reach up there and, and break down some barriers because they have the same types of training when it comes to track and field and ice skating and things like that. The women have all those same advantages that the men had for many, many years and are showing it through some elite athleticism. And now it's time for the state of Minnesota sports. Speaking of women's basketball, we'll start with the Lynx this week because there's not a whole lot to say. They're continuing on that path. Um, as I'm recording this, they're they're playing, trying to climb back into that playoff picture, two three games back, depending on how um, this goes on Tuesday evening. They've gotten better offensively, but you know what what they're showing is that. The inability to close out games, it's a little bit like the Timberwolves were in the playoffs. The inability, you know, you you have a lead and you can't hold on to the lead. And if they ever figure that out, then it gives them a chance. And, you know, if you look at last season, the Chicago Sky snuck into the playoffs. They're 500. Then they go on a run and start playing really well and win the WNBA championship. That's all that Cheryl Reeves' team wants, a chip and a chair and uh, the ability to do that. But again, as I mentioned here, they're going to have to move um, somewhat quickly here. You can't keep piddling away games, you know, win one or two and then lose two or three. That just doesn't work. You've got to make a move now so you're not scrambling at the end of the season and relying on other people to do the job for you as well by beating teams that might be ahead of you in the standings. Um, So, you know, again, not much movement on that front except that they seem to be playing a little bit better when it comes to the offensive end of the court, now they have to shut things down on the defensive end of the court. Let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Last week, Andrew uh, Neuer was on the program, two weeks ago, sorry, Andrew Neuer was on the program talking about the NBA draft what he thought the Minnesota Timberwolves should do. And if you remember, he talked a lot about Auburn's Walker Kessler, the Naismith National Defensive Player of the Year. Well, guess what? The Timberwolves went out and got him. And, you know, I texted Andrew right away and said, hey, you were right. Uh, He was good to be right once in a while. But he had even talked about the idea of, you know, if the guy they want is there and they think they can get him later, maybe you make a trade, get another playing chip. Um, And that's exactly what the Timberwolves did. I'll tell you what, when I was tuning in um, about the time that I thought the Wolves would be drafting, and saw that they had made a deal with the Memphis Grizzlies, the team that had knocked them out of the playoffs. I flashed back to the NFL draft a little bit. I thought about the Vikings making those trades to the Packers and the Lions. Like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? But in essence, the Timberwolves got two first round picks out of this. There was a lot of moving and shuffling around um, with this team in, in the first round. And um end up with two first round picks instead of just one. And they had so many second round picks to move around. And I think teams do this a lot in the NBA. Those second round picks are easy to include as part of a trade and as part of something that you know we'll deal with that in the future. A lot of second round picks are kind of those work in progress. See what you can do with that. Um, but really, in Walker Kessler, when we look at that, that, as as Andrew had said on the program, they need to be able to rebound better, need to be able to defend at the rim better, and that's what Kessler does. He's not necessarily going to be a great scoring machine, at least not initially, but you know, a lot of what you read, too, is the idea that Carl Anthony Towns doesn't have to play in the 5 position as much anymore, and he can move to the 4 where he's a little bit more natural when Kessler's out there, and provided that Kessler shows that he is NBA-ready. Tim Conley, the general manager, kind of said, We don't want to put a lot of expectations on our new draft picks. We had a team that was pretty successful. Um, it's not like we have to, you know, to, to try to be successful, we don't need these guys to contribute a whole lot. But at the same time, if you want to make a move in the Western Conference and you want to move from the seven seed up to the four seed or better, well, you're going to need a Walker Kessler to step up there. And provide a big boost defensively. Uh, you might need a Wendell Moore out of Duke to be able to show that he can score a little bit, come off the bench and do things like that. Um, you know this the second round picks, Josh Minot, Mateo Spagnolo. I'm sure I pronounced that incorrectly. These guys aren't going to be part of the of the Wolves this year. Um, Spagnolo. Probably will stay over in the Italian league where he plays right now. The Wolves will have his rights. Might uh, not will he's out of Memphis. Um, probably do some developmental league things. Uh, but you know there are these guys where hey you take a flyer on them, and if something works in the long run, you look pretty brilliant. And if not, you're really not out anything uh, when it comes to that. Chris Finch, he and Conley seem to be on the same page here. And Conley had said, hey. We're not going to draft for need unless all things equal. You know, we, we have two guys who are, who are pretty talented um, and we're not sure they're pretty equal. We're going to go for the, for the need. And that's what they did here with Kessler. Um, they, they need that. They need that defense. They need that rebounding. Um, you can always use some scoring, and that's why Moore is uh, part of the equation here because you can never have too many scores. The jury remains out on D'Angelo Russell and whether or not he will be part of the Timberwolves next year, rumor has it they're shopping him around. And um, I would guess that something is going to happen, if it's going to happen, <clears throat> something's going to happen as free agency opens here in the next week. Uh, maybe somebody's clearing the way they want Russell on their team, um, you know, a trade happen. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see on that. And the other part of this is uh, Russell could play out his contract this year With the Timberwolves, he's going to make a lot of money, but probably pretty motivated. And again, we got to back up here. Everybody's down on D'Angelo Russell, myself included, because of how he bombed out in the playoffs. But he had a really good regular season for the Timberwolves. And as Conley said, they were not going to be in the playoffs if D'Angelo Russell hadn't been so important to them. So unless you have surety in a replacement to be your point guard, maybe you keep Russell. Uh, Maybe you let him play it out. Boy, those contract years can sometimes be really good, and um, that's certainly an option too, and and then you just deal with it. And if for some reason the Timberwolves are flopping or succeeding without him having to contribute a lot, then maybe you look at the trade deadline and do something there. So a lot to be coming up here. We'll be keeping a tab on the Timberwolves as they enter free agency and seeing what that spells out for next year um, before we're able to take a little bit of a break from professional basketball and then there's the Minnesota Twins and you know we've said here a number of times how difficult it is when you follow the Twins game in and game out it can grow frustrating at times Uh, I should stay off Twitter I should stay off Facebook sometimes when they lose games that in theory they should win because it's time to fire Rocco every time they do that and of course in 162 games that's not how things work but as you're listening to this, um, the Twins are in the middle of game four out of five in Cleveland. Uh, another important series after losing two out of three to the Guardians at home last week and in tough fashion. Um, losing six to five last week, Tuesday in 11 innings, losing 11 to 10 on Wednesday. Uh, those are tough, tough games when the bullpen sort of implodes. And as I'm recording this, the Twins are. In game three, the second half of a doubleheader And on Tuesday afternoon Once again um, They kicked away A lead in the late innings The Emilio Pagan experience Came through for us again And the frustrating thing about Pagan Is he can go out there and have Two, three appearances in a row Where he strikes out the side On about 11 pitches And he's got these games where he can't find the strike zone And they were talking on the broadcast About he's been fiddling with changing up pitches and everything because he hasn't had the consistent success he wants. And I'm all for uh, trying things out and and continue to reinvent yourself because you have to do that. Teams have such good scouting and video and everything else that you need to be able to do that. But Pagan is just one of those guys in the late innings that is, is really difficult sometimes to watch. And like I say, then he'll go on a, a roll and, and pitch very, very well. And uh, it, it's hard. But you know the we look back at the last week, and I I was pulling up scores from last week, from when when you and I last sat down together. So last Wednesday they, they lose that eleven to ten game to Cleveland. The next day to come back and beat the Guardians one to nothing. Then they lose to Colorado one to nothing, beat the Rockies six to nothing and six to three. Beat the indie uh, Indians, the Guardians, eleven to one, and then lose to the Guardians, three to two. Again, another game has been played in between the time I'm doing this and you're listening, and they're in the middle of another one. But a lot of inconsistency. You sit here and you put up eleven runs two different times. Excuse me, ten runs, and then eleven runs. Um, but then you put up one run and zero runs, and and in the first half of the doubleheader on Tuesday, here you put up eleven runs the night before, and you didn't score your first run the next day till the seventh inning. And I understand peaks and valleys and everything. I'm, I'm consistently a, a little bit confused, and I mentioned this um, before the season started, I think, that Rocco doesn't have a really consistent lineup. In my mind, you know, if you have Max Kepler and you decide that Max Kepler is your fill-in-the-blank number five hitter, I don't know, then when Max Kepler is playing, he is your number five hitter. Not today he's number three and today he's number four and today he's number nine and today's no- uh, that, that. That's confusing. That doesn't make any sense to me. Guys kind of like to know, I think, where they are. Uh, if you're Luis Arise and you're going to be the leadoff hitter, then you're always going to be the leadoff hitter. If you are Byron Buxton, you're going to have him in the two-hole and Correa in the three-hole, and that's the way it always is. And if somebody is subbing for you, you can make some changes. But even there, maybe the guy who's subbing, maybe Nick Gordon is playing for Buxton. Nick Gordon can be a number two hitter. He can be a contact guy. He can move people around. Um, that's kind of what your number two guy used to be able to do. Buxton doesn't really fit that that uh, scheme. But that's that's a struggle there to kind of see that. And I wonder if sometimes that's some of the peaks and valleys um, when there's not that consistency, and and what do I know? I'm not a major league manager, and things are very different uh, than they used to be. Uh, also, the you know the injury bug continues to haunt the Twins. They've had more injuries, I think, than anybody in the big leagues. Um, Polanco on the IL for the first time in his career. Trevor Larnick is going to miss six weeks with uh, <clears throat> they call it a core muscle injury. It's basically a sports hernia, and he's got to do some surgery, and, and it, it, it's a, a tough thing to see this, and they just seem to be bit by the injury bug, but you have to look then. And so this is where I would give Rocco credit. Somehow, you're still in first place, and regardless of how the last three games of the Guardians series go, um, you should still be in first place, at least tied for that, by the time you leave Cleveland. Come home to play the Baltimore Orioles, who are a better team. Than was perhaps expected Um, But still a home series And again you want a two out of three You'll keep hearing me say that two out of three um, Before heading to Chicago To play the White Sox And by the time you listen to me again next week They will have finished that series with the White Sox Hopefully trying to Kind of add another nail to the coffin Of the Chicago White Sox Who got back to 500 then slipped again And just can't seem to figure Things out Finally for the Twins, the departure of pitching coach Wes Johnson was quite a shock and uh, a difficult place. I, I struggle a little bit with this, and I, I don't know. I'm a believer that when you commit to something, you see it all the way through. You finish a season. I can understand wanting to get back to the college game. That's where he seems to really love that. It's a little bit easier Um when they only play like 60 games a year compared to the 162 in Major League Baseball. I understand that. He wants to be around his family. I understand that. I don't really understand leaving in the middle of the season. I get it. LSU wants him and they want him to be recruiting and doing all these other things, but can't your head coach recruit and say, hey, we're bringing back Wes Johnson. He's a great pitching coach and let things go that way. I I don't think it's a whole lot to ask. I'm just uh, I think there should be penalties built into contracts when you break them um, for you know most reasons. And this is not, to me, a reason that you break a contract. With that being said, I think Wes Johnson's done a fantastic job. Players have said this repeatedly in his time here in Minnesota, that he really gets the best out of his pitchers. Last season, 2021, was a little bit of an aberration. Uh, they just didn't do very well. They had a lot of injuries to deal with. But you hear guys like Sonny Gray and Chris Archer talk about what an impact he's had on their ability to pitch well, and that says a lot. Chris Archer has been a revelation for the Twins. Not that he's getting a lot of wins or strikeouts, but he's getting innings, four or five innings every time out, and he's out there all the time. Um, Sonny Gray is a guy who's pitched well when he's not injured, and you want to, you get him for at least one more year probably and kind of want to keep him around. So uh, best wishes to Wes Johnson. I don't mean to heap on him, but uh, it's, it's unfortunate he couldn't finish off the season, and we'll see how the Twins kind of respond to that down the stretch. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On June 29th in 2010, Denard Spann of the Twins tied a Major League Baseball record with three triples in one game in an 11-4 win over Detroit. On June 29th in 2013, Kyle Gibson became the first... Minnesota Twins' first-round pick to win his first start in the big leagues in a 6-2 win over Kansas City. That's saying something. He's the very first first first-round pick to do that for the Twins in all their years. In 2020, on June 29th, the Twins set things up for their summer training program in St. Paul, which would be used as their alternate site during the summer of COVID. Of course, they'd had a cut-short spring training, They had to come back and kind of get back in shape for a couple weeks before they embarked upon that 60-game shortened schedule due to the pandemic. On June 30th, in 1995, Cleveland's Eddie Murray got his 3,000th hit against the Twins in a 4-1 Twins loss. The hit was off Mike Trombley at the Metrodome. In 2020, on June 30th, Major League Baseball announced there would be no minor league season that year, due to COVID, and a lot of players didn't get to really play. Some were at the alternate sites of different teams, and we saw that with uh, people like Royce Lewis and how that impacted him, among many others, around uh, the major and minor leagues. On July 2nd, in 2012, the Twins beat the Tigers in Detroit 6-4 for manager Ron Gardenhire's 900th career win. In 2016, on July 2nd, Max Kepler set a Twins rookie record with 7 RBI in one game in a 17-5 win over Texas at Target Field. On July 3rd in 1968, Luis Tiant set a 10-inning record with 19 strikeouts against the Twins in a Cleveland 1-0 win. I believe he also, in conjunction with that, set records for consecutive games and how many strikeouts he had and, and even over a three-game time period. Something like 32 strikeouts in back-to-back games, I think, was the number that I had seen. On July 3rd in 1980, Ken Landro tied the Major League Baseball record, stop me if you've heard this before, with three triples in one game, just like Denard Spann did 30 years later and a few days earlier. That was a 10-3 win. Over Texas for the Twins at Met Stadium on July 4th in 2010, Joe Mauer and Justin Morneau were named to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Mauer was the leading vote getter and had the third highest total of all time. On July 5th in 2018, the Twins tri- signed, excuse me, Trevor Larnick, the 20th overall pick in the draft, to a deal with a $2.55 million bonus. Of course, Larnix had a pretty decent year this year. He is currently, of course, on the injured list, though, with a groin injury. Well, that will do it for another Helping of Waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you tuned in and joined us to listen to more about Minnesota sports and sports in general. I hope you'll continue to tune in each week right here at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central, Wednesday nights. At 365sportscast.com. If you can't catch the original broadcast, you're busy on a Wednesday. Each week's episode will replay every evening at that same time, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Shows also archived to YouTube. You can go there and check out all the previous waffle flipping that we have done. If you have any thoughts about the program, any feedback, if you think you might make a good interview, please email me waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at Mr. D. 1973. We'll be back next week. Look some more at Minnesota sports. Where will the Twins be after they finished off that crucial series against the Cleveland Guardians? Will the Lynx have clawed their way back into a shot at the playoffs? Come on back and find out. I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.